Welcome to A Little Idea, a series of discussions about books, how to put them together, where to take them, and how to create a story you are truly proud of. If you are someone who is looking to tell a story and you cannot rest until you have committed that story page, this is the series for you. In our first three episodes, we talked about firstly the process of getting public, of getting started. Then we talked about the process of getting a publisher, the different routes you can take from self-publishing to getting an agent and more. And then we followed it up last week by talking about the value of editing and how that translates to your final manuscript. Today in our penultimate episode, we're talking about the next stage. It's time for designing the book and committing it to print. How important is judging a book by its cover? What should your goal be? How is the process of printing coordinated. Joining me for this discussion on design and printing, as you can see, I have not one, but two uh, very special guests. Firstly, a very warm welcome to John McDonald. He's the non-fiction publisher at Booktopia Publishing and has spent over 15 years uh, within the publishing industry, having worked as a director at Brio Books and Newham Publishing. John, welcome. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me. And my second special guest is David Henley. He's the fiction producer, uh, publisher for Booktopia Publishing. In addition to also working as a director at Brio Books, he's also worked for Seizure, the New South Wales Writers' Centre, Figment Publishing, and many more. And he's also an author in his own right, having published the Hunt for Pierre Junior Trilogy. David, welcome. Thanks, Nick. Nice to be here. Ish. Yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you both here uh, on a little idea, especially because, you know, Brio, which is now an imprint of, of Booktopia Publishing, you guys have done some amazing books. Um, you've worked with Adam Spencer, Mirandi Rewo, Dr. Carl, um, and most recently, Daniel Davis Wood, uh, who, whose latest book, At the Edge of the Solid World, uh, was shortlisted for the 2021 Miles Franklin Award. So starting kind of with a very basic question, and John, I'll throw to you, first for this one. Um, why is design so important in the context of putting a book together? Well, I think it's uh, it, your, your comment, how important is uh, judging a book by its cover? I don't think we judge them by their cover necessarily, but we certainly choose them by their cover. And that <laughs> whole design package is essentially the way you advertise it uh, in the first place. Obviously, the cover is that little tile now on a website or the physical uh, trade paperback, the 153 by 234 millimeter uh, object in a bookstore that actually tells you just enough about the book that you uh, are intrigued. Ideally, you're going to pick it up, flip it over, read the blurb and, and ultimately purchase the book. You're trying to convey something in that that, you know, gives people a hint about the sort of content that's in there, relates them back to other things that are in the market that might be, you know, things that they've also enjoyed. So it has some little sort of uh, Easter eggs or sort of uh, touch points, I guess, that remind them of, the, of other things and, and let them know what it's about. Uh, and then, of course, internally, uh, the design is, is critical as well. I mean, I think we've all picked up a book with a font that is so small that it's almost unreadable or so large that it's almost remedial. Uh, you know, it, it's the entire package. It, it's all about that object. It's about making something that is delightful to look at, delightful to hold, and, and ultimately delightful to read. Yeah, it's. I think it's. It, there is so much that goes into a good design, and I think the the key trick of it is not just that it's. Uh, it's like. It, a great design is something that you notice, but you also don't notice because it just feels yeah. natural uh, to a yeah. book. Um. David, you're coming at this from a similar position. Obviously, you've been in the publishing industry for a while, but you also have come at this from a similar position to me in that you've also been an author. Mm. Um, you know, 
what's your perspective on a on a good design so you're, you've got there you have the book uh, you have this book that you it's your baby you're wanting to put it out into the world um what should you know your goal be with a book design coming at, coming out as an author first and foremost uh, look I'm of, I'm, of, I'm of two minds because um <laughs> In the end, when in the end, when my books initially were, were brought out, I was I was going well. I'm going to trust the process and let the publisher the publisher always knows what's best and that kind of thing. Um, but afterwards, I didn't necessarily feel that and should, felt I should have stuck my oar in and been more forthright about the kind of book because the covers didn't really match the content. Kind of what John was saying, you need to signal what's inside. Um, so sometimes cover designers will leap on a trend and go the, the books need to look like this to be exciting that's what people are picking up and they completely miss the mark of what the book is and the audience isn't stupid they will quickly go well i bought that book thinking it was a thing and it wasn't so I sort of misled and i now i hate the author so you got to be careful it's always about representing yourself and how you're being how you are comfortable to be represented yeah it, it is also yeah it is a real representation thing um so if you are, you're approaching a designer, you're, and I'll, I'll, you're approaching a designer, you're in that place where, okay, you're ready for this book to be put together. I'll, and I'll throw this question to you first, John, but I know David, you'll want to have, have some input in on this particular subject. Uh, <laughs> when you are actually starting the design, the actual process of beginning it, firstly, what does that look like? And what, are you trying, what is the best way or the best methods to create a cover that first of all matches the book, but also has that, that design edge that helps someone catches that it helps catch the eye as it, as it will. Mm. I wish I was more organized and giving you a, a very sort of um, structured chronological answer, but uh, I'll just sort of scatter it out there and we'll see how we go. I mean, I think that's spot on. I, I entirely agree. You're, you're telegraphing something about the cover, but you don't want to fool people. So you don't want to have sort of a, a very obviously Star Wars-y kind of you know, blockbuster cover for a book that is actually quite quiet and literary, because at the end of the day, you're going to draw in people who are excited to read this one type of book and actually get stuck into it and think, well, this isn't what, I, what I'd expected. You, you've, you've tricked me and I don't, I don't enjoy it. And then, of course, you've got bad reviews and so forth and so forth. So you're trying to telegraph something about the book, but also trying to, to telegraph something about the style of book and the style of reader. Um, so you, you definitely want to be careful there. And look, at, in terms of design, just a sort of a, a left of field comment, I mean, the sorts of designs that I often particularly like are the sorts of designs that would be a terrible book cover. Um, very quiet designs, very elegant, very, uh, you know, quite um, thoughtful, I guess, in a way. But, but generally, you want a cover that's a bit more interesting, because a bit more going on in it. And it's not just that it's perfectly tracked type or you know, perfectly current letters, you just want something that's a really good picture. So Anyway, going back to your actual question, rather than just rabbiting on, um, in terms of the process, what uh, what do we what do we sort of, or how do we go about it? Um, generally, first first things first, you're looking at the style of book. So, is it a big blockbuster? Is it a trade book? Is it the sort of book that's going to be selling you know five, ten, twenty thousand copies, or is it a first time author? All of those sorts of questions go into the mix to look at the sorts of cover um, that we're going to sort of you know run with. Uh, the author name is, is one thing that I often start with, you know, how big is the author name going to be? And that will then start to dictate the sorts of covers that I would start to design. Um, analogs or other books in the industry that are sort of related to it. So, I mean, you know, David, I know has a, a very strong view and understandably on the, if you love this, you'll also like that. 
And I agree that that is absolutely misused and abused. But on the other hand, if it's used judiciously and properly, it's, it's a great tool to be able to say, if you enjoy you know, Nick's book, you sure. might also enjoy this one because they are related. No, it's, but it's, it's abused not often. used judiciously. That's true. true. That, well, it is by us, we'd like to think. Okay, by us, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I go looking for those sorts of things. And I, and I do like to try to you know, relate things. I mean, particularly literary titles, it's sometimes useful, I think, to sort of telegraph to the reader that it's you know it's a bit like this you know this is the sort of design it's quite thoughtful um, you know this this and this and goes onto that cover and makes it look a certain way um we would then generally want to look at uh, obviously the story key things that are in the story i i tend to like to design things that have a little bit of an easter egg in them uh in that sense that something's that's intriguing and you might not quite understand why it's on the cover until you've read the book so something that encourages people to read but also something that as they're reading they can go back and think oh i see what that is that that little element there is that that's for me as the reader you know something that kind of uh, engages them in that way um and then I'm, I'm i'm sort of looking for you know obviously key events or key themes that you want to sort of uh, tease out on that cover image um also looking for obviously critical things there's sometimes the author or the uh sometimes the agent um the publisher will have specific things that they'd like us to actually put on the cover so you know we wanted to pick this or here's some covers that we like or here's some things that we want it to relate to um is it part of a series does it need to be something that is rolling out on future books or does it in fact need to follow something that's rolled out in the past um all of those sorts of things are the, the initial bits that i put into the mix uh and then obviously I should actually start with the most important thing, frankly, is the title. Um, and uh, that will dictate how I can lay out the cover. I mean, if it's a very, very long word followed by a very, very short word, that stacks terribly and it means that you're going to have your text at a certain size. And that then gives you a lot of vertical real estate. Uh, is it, you know, When Men Cry, for instance, your book, Nick, that you've obviously got, that's a good stack. It sits nicely and you can take up quite a lot of space on the cover with the title, which will then also dictate how you can sort of utilize the space. Um, so there's sort of some of the things that I start off with. Um, David? Well, you... yeah, John, John speaking as somebody with, with decades of experience of messing up. Um, <laughs> that's true. Because when, when, you, when you start designing, when, when you start off designing in this game, you, you look for fantastic images and you try to get the exact thing which captures the book and then you put it on and you try to get the type on and you can't. So you, then you, you sacrifice the integrity of the image. So since you have to have the title and the author name on there and probably a shout line, if not an award, a place for an award, hopefully to help here, you start with, you start blocking out with that and then try to find the right image that will fit with it. Because mm. otherwise you end up with, with the worst result. Um, I would, I've, I've, I've recently just briefed in a, a designer I haven't worked with. And essentially I just, I gave them, this is the, these are the, this is the size, this is the genre. Uh, and I gave a few samples of this is the sort of mood I want to get from it. And I'll, it can be an artwork, a movie poster, a book cover. It's like, this is the mood. Um, and if I have a specific, if I have specific objects or a scene that I want captured, then I'll explain that. Um, so you really, you just give the creative the parameters to work within. Mm. And then hopefully they will leap on it and bring their energy to it. Mm. Yeah, I'm assuming that's like a big part of the, of the design, like a big thing, something, say, if you're an author, you bring to that for the designer. Similar to like when I was chatting with Sylvia last week about how the editing is a real back and forth process. Um, I found the design process to be similarly very, uh, a good designer will really be collaborative and, and suggest mm. great points that will heighten the story um, mm. and also be aware of the fact that, you know, 
you're dealing again with an author who is has poured their heart and soul into something and sometimes can react in a way that'll be like, okay, well, you, it's, yes, you're being very protective of this story, but at the same time, uh, mm. I think that com- communicating it through design this way uh, mm. will be much more telling uh, or, yeah. or give a better sense of what the story is, which is better for your story in the long run. Yeah, and and, look, and I think that's the the biggest risk and is with with authors is that they are so close and they're so invested that sometimes they have a quite ethereal picture of what the book cover will look like, but they can never draw it, they can never capture it themselves, and anything you present to them will be wrong because you can never catch that holy grail. So that's that's the big trap is when an author has this holy grail image in mind of the of the of the book cover, um, and in some ways they're they're investing too much in a book cover. We are saying a book cover is important but it can't do everything. It cannot tell the entire story. It cannot explain that there's a plot twist on, on this certain page. It cannot um, capture all the characters. It probably can't even capture the essence of one character. Yeah. It is, it is yeah. simply there as <clears throat> much, like, much like getting dressed. It is putting the best clothes on the body, which is the book. <laughs> it's an advertisement. That's well, exactly I, I, was, I really felt myself going into a hole there. You got out. You got out. <laughs> Uh, look, it's it, uh, yeah, it, it, it is a collaborative process, Nick. You, you're totally right. And we, we have the luxury in our office, there's a few of us, there's David, there's Roy, and there's myself. So as the three designers, we often bounce ideas off each other before it even gets to the author or the publisher. So um, David will do some very rough concepts and send them to me to make them better or vice versa. We, we sort of just come up with ideas. We, sh- we throw a couple of things around very, very roughly, and then we sort of workshop those. And so by the time a cover's actually gone out to somebody, it's generally been through quite a few hands in our office, even, even if it's only quick, uh, to get those sort of ideas down and just see what's working, what's not, what's uh, what's it's inexplicable. Sometimes you get stuck in the design. You're thinking, this is so clever. This is so great. I'm going to do this. And you do it. And then somebody else looks and goes, why the devil is that on the cover? I mean, that doesn't make, that's just weird. And you yeah, sort John, of, I don't care about your Easter egg. Move it. There, there it is. Yeah, well, look, I still put them on there. I still put them on there. Um, and uh, look, I think that it's, uh, as David said, it's like, it's the clothes on the, on, on the person. It's just that little advertisement. It's getting it there and making sure that we're doing something that the market understands too. I mean, you're telegraphing the message, not just to the reader, but also to bookstores, um, also to you know, any retailers. You're trying to tell them, this is this is the sort of thing you're expecting. This is the sort of stuff that might happen in the book. And, and it kind of gives you a sense of where it fits in the marketplace as well. Um, so that, that's, the, that's kind of our job is to make sure that we're trying to get those components together. Yeah, it's, and look, kind of, we, we did touch on, on the, the design process of my book a little bit, but um, one of the things I particularly loved about it, and you, you mentioned this about getting a sense of what does work and what doesn't work. I remember we did one of the, the funnest parts was originally these, you came up with, I think, 10 or 11 different covers, completely different, very, and just kind of, wor- and we just worked with them. And what was particularly interesting was getting a clear sense of a lot of, some people were like, I love this cover. I love this cover. I like this cover. But then I would look at some covers and go, whoa, this is too much on one end, or this is too much, or this is too commercial on the other end. Um, is the pro- And I'm assuming that that process of just figuring out what you, what you absolutely don't want to go with is even more valuable than when you actually finally settle on the design. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, the number, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, we, we, we always ask, you know, initially, are there any sort of imperatives? Are there things that you definitely want on there, things that you don't want? Covers that you love, even if they're not related to your book, just sort of designs and looks and feels that sort of suit you, things that you really, really don't like and you don't want. Um, and, you know, often we'll get that. People will send a couple of covers through and say, I don't want anything like this and a couple of others. And I think this is really effective. I think this works really well. I'd like something, you know, in this sort of oeuvre. Um, we also then get a lot of people who say outright, no, 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 nothing. No, 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 you do whatever, you've got carte blanche, you do whatever you like. And of course, then you send through round one and they come back and say, well, you know, we don't like that. We didn't want that. And, and also, I don't, I don't think a person should be on the front. And you think, okay, well, they're the sorts of things we were initially asking, really. Um, we sent you 10, I mean, your, yours is a good example. Uh, and and a perf I mean, we, we generally try to send no fewer than sort of three, three or four concepts. Um, but there are a lot of exceptions. Sometimes we'll send one and that'll be because we just happen to be playing with something and it works so well that we think, holy moly, this is great. It's rare, but we'll then send it through and say, listen, we're still working. We're still happy to do more, but we think this has nailed it. You know, what do you think? And, and oftentimes that that's correct. And you just happen to get it right. And, and we go with that. Um, other times though, with something like yours, you'll just find a vein of concepts which are working quite well and, and show several different directions, which means it will send a lot more. Um, but generally something around that three or four or five mark gives enough sort of variations. You can show a couple of different fonts. You can show some very different imagery, sort of color palettes and, and try to get the mood and at least then tease out what the client or the author or the, the market actually wants. Mm, yeah, it's it's it is such a such a fine line and a fine margin of stuff that you're dealing with. Which it it honestly does can be quite surprising how much you kick things back and forth um, about the smallest of things, even down to like the saturation of colours on an image. Um, David, his question. Horror stories. We won't. <laughs> um, I do have a David a, a bit of a question for you uh, about this. When you you've gone, you've been through the process of weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of design. When do you get a sense? Do you, is there a sense when a design is ready? It's finished, it's finalized, or do you never, do you never get that get to that sense? And it's always a case of this is as close to, to yeah. perfect as we'll get. Sometimes look, sometimes you feel you've nailed it immediately and there might just be small touches after that. Um, but sometimes it's, it's done when it's gone to print and you're like, we, 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 that is as good as it's going to get. Um, <laughs> Should have fixed that up before it went. Should have oh, fixed well. that up. <laughs> we, um, we, we, we tried to block it into different stages. So there's the initial design phase where we throw everything out there and hopefully something catches. And then there's the second phase where we start homing in on the design. And that's when it should really feel like it's there. And then after that, it's usually just minor text changes or hang on, it would be better if we shadowed out that bit of the photo or something like that. So you just refine, refine, refine until you go, that's it. We, we can't find anything else wrong with it. Yeah. And it, look, it took me a long time designing to, to get over this. You know, you, you do something and you'd spend so much time with it. These designs, even simple ones would take you, you know, a good hour or two to, to put together or, or, or oftentimes a lot more. You'd spend so much time with the design, then you'd send it off and then you know, three or five or 10 minutes later, you get a response saying, this isn't working for this reason. And it mm. took me such a long time to get used to that and, and accept that um, I didn't necessarily agree with it, but oftentimes there was 
something in that that was correct. They're absolutely spot on. Actually, the text is a little bit too small. Or no, that is too dark. And you take that feedback and then you work it in. But it, it's very easy as a designer initially starting out, certainly to take that on board as, as a real heavy criticism and think, what do they know? And, you know, and get quite angsty about it. But, the, you know, I think that was one of the, the biggest um, sort of developments for me. And I, I'm pleased to say it happened a long time ago. You don't take it personally. You look and you think, okay, well, this is, and look, ultimately this person who's looking at it, you can say they're a lay person, they're not a designer, whatever. That's great. They're not. They're the audience. They're the people who are going to walk into a bookstore and they're the ones who are going to look at it. So you actually do want to know what they think and you do want to know why they think, you know, that colour orange is too bright or that text is too fat or whatever else because it's them who is going to respond to the design and it's them who's going to potentially pick up the book and so forth and so forth. So so that feedback, that part of the process is, is something that I think is, yeah. is very important. Well, I mean, it's true because you kind of hire a designer for their inherent taste and, and sense of quality. Um, and also hopefully that they've got a, you know, finger on the zeitgeist, but the best designers will constantly doubt themselves and ask everybody else as well. So, you know, it's good that you've got to have a little bit of confidence. You've also but you've got to have the confidence to be able to ask, what does everyone think of this? Is, is everyone reading this design the same way that I've, that I've intended? It? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing how similar whenever like, I've had authors come up to me and say, how do I tackle an actual designer or whatever? One of the <laughs> responses are like, they're in the same boat as you because there is a, they're putting their heart and soul into the design, similar with an editor, putting their heart and soul into, into editing and they genuinely want the book to do well. It's, so it's, it's a view it very much in a similar way when you're, like, when you're writing because it's, it's the similar process. Um, yeah. Out of curiosity, and Sylvia actually mentioned last week on, on, our, on, our, on our chat with her that she often, similar to authors going into bookshops to buy, to you know, see their own copy on, uh, on the shelf, she actually also goes in and, and, and goes looking for books that she's edited. Do you, <laughs> do you guys do something similar as well? If you're really I proud of the to. design, uh, if you're really we, we, proud we, of the design and you're really happy with it, do you go looking for it in bookshops and seeing I, it in I, the I place where to. it should be? Not, not so much. I mean, we've been doing it for such a long time. There was, there was certainly a, when we were very early on in our business, sorry, I just knocked my computer there. Um, we, we were doing a lot of uh, services work. So we were an agency and we worked for, you know, virtually all of the publishers in some way or another doing various things. And so there was a period there, um, you know, several years ago or more when we would have a lot of books in the marketplace for a lot of different publishers. And you, and I did, I did enjoy going into a bookstore and seeing, you know, the front was, we did that. We did that. We did the editorial for that. We did the typeset for that. We did that cover. That was quite nice. Um, you know, the novelty does wear off a little bit, but on the other hand, it, there's still nothing like that sense of pride when you see something that you've been involved with and you're happy with. And actually I, I've got to say one of my favorite things pre COVID lockdowns was when you go to a lifeline bookstore, a secondhand bookstore, and you'd see this book and it, you know, it, it, you did, oh, I did this 11 years ago or whatever, and it's still there. And um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're book nerds at the end of the day, we're in the industry because we love it. So you, you can't help but be excited by seeing a book or particularly for me going to a friend's house, particularly a friend who's got nothing to do with publishing and doesn't even really know that you're in publishing. And you just look at their bookshelf and you think, did that one, did that one? Yeah, that one passed on that manuscript, <laughs> etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'd imagine it'd be a really fun, like a second-hand bookshop. I haven't thought about, but it would be like seeing a, a book that's been well worn and well used, and it's fulfill. It's fulfilling. Notes its in the margin would be my dream to find a book with you know lots of people who've you know, jotted down thoughts about them. But uh, I don't know. I've seen that. 
Yeah, I remember last year when I was in a second-hand bookshop and I just kept turning it around to this shelf and going, hey, that's one of ours. And I take a picture and send it to John. Do you remember this one? It's like from 15 years ago. <laughs> and often you look at those, sometimes you look at those covers and you remember, gee whiz, you know, that went X number of rounds and I was so proud of it. And you look at it and think, yeah. <laughs> I'd change that, you know. I'd, I'd do that differently now. Or go, they're, they're, they're so little, young. A little like sports games, you have this like recollection of like, oh yeah, I remember how we got there. <laughs> yeah, that pencil that we drew is completely off, but you know, we still got it. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's look, it is such a fascinating thing looking at design and, and, and how it fits into the whole process. But I'm gonna move on to the kind of the last section of this this podcast, which is talking a bit about the process of printing. Um, because um, I know that a lot of people, a lot of you know, first-time authors, they go, Oh, I need to get a sense of, of this actual whole entire process. What does it look like from start to finish? Um, David, I'll throw to you for this this question. The actual process. Actual process. Of printing. What does actually happens from the moment that you sign off on the typeset, the design? It is good to go for printing. No, what does it look like? Just go to a magic place and the books arrive. Later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> now, look, it's a pretty broad question because, in some ways, it is. It has since back in the old days when we started, there was a lot more involved. But since then, you know, when we started, there was no PDF. But now PDF came and it's a transportable. Yeah, just in the beginning, John. I was just um, trying to think, John. <laughs> really? I'd be sending my quark packages over. Oh my god! Here is my quark package. Um, <laughs> so, but now you have PDFs and most of the colors between computers and between printers have really leveled out. So I think a lot of what authors are worried about doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You know I mean, because um, yeah. well, whereas before you would look at red on one screen and would be green on another. So that was huge problems. So there was a lot more involved, but that's all gone. So largely it is once we've all agreed and everyone should do test prints before they send it, you know, to see what it really looks like. You do send it to the printer and they can either send back a physical proof to check or a most often a digital proof just to end really just to make sure that nothing's gone wrong between you sending the pdf and them receiving the pdf mm -hmm. um, and then you hit print and it's gone but i'm sure there's more to your question than why you're asking though are you like <laughs> are you talking about like deciding what stock it gets printed on yeah like things which, so which it, printer to go with yeah it, it can't because often you know we've, we've talked about different pub like different methods of publishing and different ways of getting yeah. your book out the door and some people will say will go you know whether they take the self print the self-publishing route or the yeah. um they're going with an agent or whatever what's the you know is there any do's and don'ts of printing for example are there any things that like will guarantee a better product in the printing process well it, it depends it, it does depends depend. entirely depends on the kind um, of book yeah, where, so where it's going. It's again, it's language again. It's, yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah. Go on, John. Sorry, I cut you off. No, that's all right. No, we, we, we've been oh, working well, together for so was... long that we cut each other off all the damn time. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, so paper stock is like, I mean, you, the, the thing with most printers to be aware of is that a lot of printers don't have access to what is the normal book internal paper, which we call bulky cream or or wood, wood free, bulky or something like that. Um, and so, so when you pick up a most, most books in a bookstore, they'll have this really light paper, which is slightly, you know, textured to touch. Coarse, yeah. um, slightly coarse and not completely Normal white. Normal book paper, I guess <laughs> and, you'd yeah. sort of think of it, but, yeah. But often authors, they go to a printer and they say, oh yes, yes, we print on book paper. And, and essentially they're printing on photocopy paper. And then people get the book and they go, wow, it, it weighs two kilos for this tiny book. 
and it doesn't end, it looks self-published. So that's, that's the main trap is the internal stock that people choose to print on. Mm. And I mean, in terms of the, how you print and the, the size in Australia, the, the sort of the usually a novel is going to be a, what's called a trade paperback, the C format, which is 153 by 234 millimeters plus or minus. It's not actually an ISO standard. Everybody in the industry thinks that this trade paperback has exactly the same dimensions. It's actually a range and different printers will have slightly different um, variations on what their standard is. And they'll also allow you to vary within that, but, but it's roughly 153 by 234. Um, and that's that's your average novel that you see. Um, they tend to be whether you go for an, a C format tends to be dictated on your your manuscript length. So if it's very very short, you might not be able to get the extent up enough that it doesn't look like a brochure. So you might drop it down to B format or something else. Once you've got that trade paperback sort of size and you know what you're going to do, you've then got some options in terms of your cover. Is it going to be a gloss cover or a matte cover? Um, overarchingly. I'd say, I mean, it used to be that sort of um, mass market paperbacks had a gloss cover, sometimes an emboss uh, and something slightly more you know, delicate um, or artsy perhaps would have a matte cover and maybe a finish. I think it's fair to say that overarchingly the trend is more towards matte finishes, sometimes with embellishment, not always. Um, it's, just a, it's just a slightly more modern look, I think, on the whole. Um, I think that's a fair comment. Um, oh, it is. Looking- I think it matches wine bottles. Mm-hmm. So back in the old days, there are all these shiny labels, but then they're trying to True. say, well, this is from a smaller vineyard and for somebody with a more refined palate. So it was an unfinished textured stock and yeah. that, that sort of thing. And it's exactly the same with it. It's how that paper feels. Mm. So if you want to be absolutely mass market, I'm saying this is a quick, easy read for it, for as many people as possible. Go gloss. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then in terms of, of who you print with and how many you print um, depends entirely. So in a custom or self-publishing scenario, um, how many you print will be dictated on all sorts of things. And I'm sure you've talked about these, but in terms of uh, where you're going to store them, that's, that's actually, that sounds glib, but that is ultimately one of the most important practicalities. If you decide to order 5,000 books because you've got tons of money and, uh, and you've got a really great unit cost, where are you going to store 5,000 books? Um, that is a big, big question. We have, I kid you not, we have had people in the past who have, uh, who have accepted or demanded even against our uh, you know, advice, big, big print runs. And, and literally when that semi-trailer pulls up out the front of their house and they ask, where's your forklift? Uh, we get a panicked call. And uh, anyway, we, we've dealt with those issues <laughs> in the past. But, uh, but look, you, you generally want to print as few as possible, uh, but also get that economy of scale. So if you're printing uh, self-publishing, uh, you can even do one unit, of course. And um, you probably talked about the print-on-demand solutions um, that are out there. And there's some really, really good ones nowadays. And the quality of those books is fantastic. Um, it is really, really good. It, it wasn't always the case. Ten years ago, the quality was very distinctly um, not as good. Nowadays, it's, it's great. They, they do... As David says, generally at the moment in Australia, at least print on a different stock, which is heavier. So they do feel different, Um, not worse. In fact, by some measures, I think they feel better, Um, but they do feel different and bookstores are aware of that and they they can sometimes detect and sometimes care that it's a self-published book. It's, uh, I don't think that's as much of an issue anymore though. Um, If you can get a print run up, anything beyond a few hundred, it's worth talking to one of the big commercial printers and that will then dictate what sort of things you can do. and once, um, in terms of doing embellishments and things like that, well, really, you need to, in my view, to make sense for that, you need to be printing, you know, probably one to 2,000 to get an economy of scale on that sort of a thing. Um, but it depends, as David said, on, on new market. Who are you pitching it to? How do you want to 
get it out there? Do you want to sell them ad hoc print on demand? Um, is it something that, you know, if it's a nonfiction book, for instance, is it something that you want to update every six or 12 months, in which case you really don't want to have 10,000 units sitting around and have to get rid of them? Um, do you have distribution into trade bookstores? Um, are you just going to sell it online? All these considerations, they inform the design. Um, very largely. So it's that practical form follows function. You're looking at how you're going to get out there, who are you going to get it to, and how should the design then relate back to those people? Mm. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> you, you actually were going to touch on my kind of that final, one of the final points I was going to ask about, but it, it, I want to kind of put, uh, pick your brains a little bit more about, for example, that sense of pricing. Um, because I know a lot of people get very antsy or nervous, particularly, for example, if they're doing this through an agent or whatever, or they and they have to, you know, reach into their own pocket to, uh, to, to pay for, to, for a lot of these printing costs. Um, how's the best way to get a sense of, of what sort of pricing is good for you when it comes to printing uh, a book or getting it out there? Like, is it just down to, like you say, like getting, hoping for a solid economies of scale with the amount of books that you print, um, or is it just a matter of, uh, is it, or does it really come down to, you know, what you're actually trying to achieve? If you're only going to go for 500 copies of books, uh, being aware or forking out the actual money just for that, as an example. Yeah, look, it really does depend on your goals because a lot of people just want their book made as, you know, as a testament to their life, it's something on their bucket list. They just have to do it. And that is, that is completely valid. So it's not about making money back for them. But if you're an author that is going to try and sell enough to make your money back, then the print cost suddenly matters. Um, in which case you need to start looking at your equation and go, <clears throat> what's my price? What discount do I have to offer? Usually say 50%. Um, how much am I paying for editorial? How much am I paying for printing? Any, any other expenses like publicity until you go, well, I can or can't make a profit based on those costs. Mm. So, you know, we, we have our rules of thumb for percentages, but when you're a, when you're a starting off author, you've really got to start looking at each, each book as a little business and go, how much money am I spending on this project? How much can I expect to get back? Mm. Yeah. And I mean, the books are often heavy business cards, not just for nonfiction writers, but for fiction writers too. I mean, there's, there's an awful lot of very good writers uh, who, for various reasons, decide they want to test the market by doing a book themselves to start with and getting out there, or it can be a time imperative. They don't, they don't want to go through the sausage mill, as it were, the great sausage mill, I should say, of professional publishing, um, and they don't want to wait and go through all of those. They want to get it out now. They want to get it the way that they, they want to do that. Um, so those sorts of considerations. My internet is unstable, I'm being told. So if I cut yeah, out, David... Yeah, it's funny, because I think you said sausage of, mill, as if you don't know how um, sausages are made. But in terms of getting a sense of... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, I think in terms of, um, I'll, I'll just move on. Uh, in terms of how how many to print initially, um, I think that you you can look at things such as do you have distribution into trade? That's an important one, and if you do, that might change how many you want. Um, but one of the pragmatic ways to get a sense of how many you need is to is to do pre-sales. Um, that's obviously part of Booktopia's ethos, but but generally having the ability to and it, it's almost like kickstarting your book in a way, taking pre-orders, which helps the marketing aspect, but obviously also gives you a sense of just how many copies do I need? Um, and that will also then dictate whether you want to go print on demand ad hoc or whether you want to do a small print run. Um, 
and and you can then kind of work back from your, your recommended retail price. There are sort of set prices, you know, trade paperbacks tend to be about $24.99 or $29.99 or at some if they're very thick, $34.99. There are sort of gradations that the market accepts, but um, but you can play around with those numbers, of course. And particularly if you've done a pre-sale, you've got you've got less risk. Mm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm aware that we are we are kind of running short on time. Um, so I'll kind of throw this very last question uh, to, to David because your internet connection doesn't look unstable. So I'll trust you on that. I'll one. tell you how to make sausages. <laughs> <laughs> um, so go for it. <laughs> with uh, where do you go? So now kind of, we, we've kind of touched on this point a little bit, but after we have, have organized this book, we've sent it to the printers, it's in the process of being printed. Where do you go after that book is finally printed and ready to go? As in, what are you going to do with that book? Yeah. Like, look, in some ways that's something you should think about before you even begin the journey. Mm. Um, and I mean, I, I'm like, yeah, I'm like that's pretty it. much, Thanks, Joe. Every other <laughs> I don't know what question he's responding to. He's <laughs> yeah, he's gone. He's gone silent. Thanks, John. <laughs> um, I, I, I pretty much like every author just went blindly into this this game, um, and because I love to write, I, and um, kind of, and 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 the end result of writing is to publish it and get it out there. So my first couple books, which I sort of self published. Um, I did just whack them into the distribution chain and saw, saw what happened. And, and that was okay back in the early days. But since then, so many more books have come out that if you want to be a known author, um, which, you know, even myself, I'm second guessing whether I ever want to be known, um, you, you have to plan ahead. You have to start building your audience. And I hate to say platform, but you need to be connecting with somebody because it's extremely arrogant to think that the world is waiting for your words. That's not a plan. It's, 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 a, it's a plan just for the ego to think that you're just going to hold your book up and everyone's going to go, oh my God, it's here. That's never going to happen. So you've really got to start connecting with people as soon as you can, before you write a book, before you read a book. In kindergarten, just start making connections. Yeah, I think yeah. It's, 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 a, and this is a great, I think, point to, to end on because it's everything and i think people underestimate they just start writing and think this once you have that manuscript you've got a really plan all the way through and you know the design and printing process is a is a massive part of that um i could talk to you guys forever um frankly because it's amazing it's it's always so much fun whenever i get the chance to chat to you guys um but i'm aware that we are running out of time um thank you so much um for your pearls of wisdom david and john um it has been an absolute pleasure chatting to you both uh, about uh, the design process and the printing process. Great. Thank you. I hope we passed on something good. <laughs> Sausages are not made in a mill. <laughs> that could be a new opportunity. John's new ground. Birth of an industry. John sausage <laughs> mill. Milled fresh. Toasted. <laughs> <laughs> it's a look yeah look it, it, people might get misconceptions but we'll uh, we'll leave that for when it comes for when the for when the hey, i'm not a butcher <laughs> um thank you so much and for all of our our viewers i really hope that this uh podcast has provided uh, some clarification first of all around the process of design but also of printing and giving you a sense of exactly uh, what you need to think about when you go into that process 
So tune in for our very last episode of A Little Idea next week. We've talked about writing, getting your foot in the door of publishing, editing your book, and now giving you an introduction to the world of design and committing it to print, courtesy of David and John. Next week, what next? We touched on this point with our final question, but we'll provide you with an introduction to marketing and PR and how to start thinking outside the box with getting your books into readers' hands. My name is Nick Wasiliev and I'm the author of When Men Cry, which as you can see right here. Um, and you'll see links to it down in the description below. I've also attached links to Brio Books, which is where uh, David and John work at, but they also work at Booktopia Publishing. So be sure to check that out. Um, and also be sure to check out all episodes of A Little Idea in our playlist below. David and John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Thanks Nick.